0: Hello and
1: welcome. The Wire, your national and independent coverage of current affairs right across Australia on Community and Indigenous Radio. I'm Emma Watsky coming to you from Radio Adelaide in Tandanya, on the lands of Ghanamina. Our team pays our deepest respect to elders past and present. We extend this respect to all First Nations listeners and to the rightful custodians of the lands you are listening in from. And today on the show,
2: we need those stories told because that's real life experience we're experiencing the poverty and the homelessness.
1: And unless we speak up, it won't change. A National Day of Action housing rally was held last weekend, framing a lens on the deepening housing crisis and calling for more action. The Wire has the details. Also, new restrictions have turned the sound down on a 122-year-old pub in rural New South Wales, limiting some music and live gigs. But most of the community want to play on. So how are the owners pushing back? And later in the show... Nationally, I think the figure is 30%. In South Australia, it's closer to 40% of people
3: are living in rentals that have no minimum standards for things like
1: insulation. Impacts of climate change continue to cause concern with summer temperatures set to peak. What could this mean for low-income communities and renters? We'll have this and more for you over the next half hour. We're on air across Australia thanks to the Community Radio Network and the support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. First up today Queenslanders in the far north have awoken to fallen trees and flash flooding in the wake of tropical cyclone at Jasper. Residents spent days preparing for the impact of Cyclone Jasper after it was first reported as a Category 1 system south of the Solomon Islands. National radio news reporter Noah Sukum has this wrap of Jasper's path through the state's north.
4: Heavy rains and winds of up to 110 kilometres an hour struck north of Port Douglas as the cyclone upgraded to a Category 2 system. Over 40,000 properties were without power between the Daintree and down to Tully.
3: There's still a lot of wild weather about, but where it is safe, our crews will begin damage assessments so they can understand the state of the network what it's going to take to repair everything and restore power to those customers.
4: Emma Oliveri from Ergon Energy says restoring power is the first priority.
3: We start getting ready long before the cyclone crosses the coast. We have troops amassing in Rockhampton and Townsville and we've been bringing in crews from across the state ready to roll the trucks where they're needed. We have more than 500 field crew members across the state, ready to support their colleagues in the far north.
4: Emergency crews across the state have been responding to a number of incidents across the region. Twelve people and a dog have been assisted by police and the fire emergency service in the town of Mossman, and the SES received around 150 calls for help overnight. However, Cairns Regional Mayor Terry James says residents seem to have taken the event in their stride.
0: The feeling on the ground in Cairns is quite good. Uh, It's typical weather that we receive this time of, of year. All in all, um, at the call centre here, we received minimal calls overnight at the at the disaster centre. So uh, we're we're just uh, waiting for the calls to come in now for the flooding event.
4: Despite being downgraded to an ex tropical cyclone, rain has continued to fall across the region, causing widespread flash flooding and isolating regional properties.
0: In a strange one, we we've just issued a conserved water notice because. The uh, intake of our um, our water supply is is blocked with uh, tree debris at the moment, so we'll be out and about today trying to clean that up. But we're asking people to to conserve water in in a flood event. How's that?
4: Cyclone Jasper is the first of its kind to make landfall this season and passed near Woodhill, Woodhill, north of Cairns, around 9 o'clock last night. By 11 o'clock, the cyclone was downgraded to a Category 1 storm. Helen Reid from the Bureau of Meteorology says conditions could have been a lot worse.
0: I mean, there's always surprises when you're dealing with a tropical cyclone. We had a little bit of a longer lead time. We weren't quite sure. that once we knew that it was going to be heading towards the coast, a bit north of Cairns, it did kind of go according to the plan that we had formulated over the last couple of days.
4: The cyclone is now heading west, where it may re-intensify over the weekend and continue towards the Northern Territory.
0: Once it's reached the Gulf of Carpentaria, we will be watching very closely to see if there's any sense of re-intensification there too.
4: Queensland Fire and Emergency Deputy Commissioner Shane Schallepi says there have been no reports of injury or structural damage. However, he says flash flooding of rivers poses a significant risk.
5: Can I thank the community for working with us, uh, listening to our warnings, staying off the roads and staying indoors. But the event's not over. Can I please ask you to continue to remain connected to our warnings?
4: Despite continued warnings, Mayor James says it isn't anything the locals aren't ready for.
0: Oh, absolutely, it's business as normal, you know, we, we're pretty resilient, we, we practice for this and everything will be back online very, very quickly. I've been here uh, well over 60 years, so I'm used to this, uh, I see it uh, every year. So the, the clean-up uh, and uh, what we're seeing is, is very, very minimal compared to what we've seen in the past.
1: Cairns Regional Council Mayor Terry James, ending the report by National Radio News, Noah Saccum. If you're in an affected area in far north Queensland, help is available. Call QFES on 132 500. A day before the International Day of Human Rights, poverty advocacy groups assembled for a National Day of Action housing rally in Adelaide, calling for more social housing and rental affordability solutions. The online event highlighted the severe impacts of tightening rental markets, a situation where many Aussies are forced to choose between essential medication or having a roof over their head. The Day of Action brought together activists and those affected by housing crisis and low income to share experience and collaborate on actions. The National Day of Action follows the first national conference since COVID-19 to end poverty, power to the poor. The Wire spoke with member of South Australian Anti-Poverty Network Coordinator Committee David Winderlick, following the housing rally.
6: Well we trying to draw attention to the fact that there is a housing crisis because the government, state and federal don't seem to have noticed. The federal government's big plan over about five years is to put 40,000 new social houses. That's not even going to keep up with a current demand, let alone meet future demand of the more and more people who are being thrown into homelessness and risk of homelessness every year by the cost of living crisis. At the state level, between federal and state money, there'll be about 800 new homes over the next several years. Again, there's uh, thousands of people homeless already, so it's not even going to solve the current problems, let alone all the future people who are going to be thrown onto the street by the cost-living crisis. So we are trying to draw attention to that crisis and the sorts of things we are calling for, a, a massive new public housing build and uh, freezes on rents and and other measures that might support that.
1: When it comes to events like these, you brought quite a few different speakers together. What's the value of sharing those perspectives?
6: Well, all we have is people power. We don't have money. We don't have high positions. So all we've got is the power of ordinary people. And most of the people involved in our movement are people who are in poverty. So they have a number of barriers. So the more of us we can get together, the better. So we brought together a whole lot of grassroots organisations. We'll be able to work together and that's already happening on Future actions will be able to share perspectives and we'll be able to reinforce each other's morale because this is a difficult battle, there's no doubt about it.
1: Recently, uh, SA saw some rental reforms or reforms to the Residential Tenancy Act allowing a 60-day notice period, pets and also no-cause evictions. What are your thoughts on this?
6: That was progress. It's important to improve the conditions and rights of renters it's important that our landlords can't just throw people out for no reason. So anything like that we can do to prove the bargaining power of renters is good, but it doesn't address the fundamental problem, which is that there is not enough housing. And While there is not enough housing, renters will always be at the mercy of, of landlords. Landlords will always have incentives to do the wrong thing. The biggest problem to address is the supply of housing.
1: How are you encouraging low-income renters to advocate for themselves or take action on the issue?
6: So we, we are just starting, we have had in the past a lot of advocacy around Centrelink and rights with Centrelink and so forth. That's something we're just starting with housing. So we're talking about running different stalls and seminars and things like that at places where people will see them. So it'll be very face-to-face. In the past with Centrelink, we've often had people accompany job seekers and other people on Centrelink to interviews. So they have some support. I imagine we'll be thinking about things like that. And then, of course, there's the um, all the policy advocacy we do now around media and talking to politicians and so forth to try get more housing built and fairer rules. When we try and get progressive reform around things like The Voice, if vast numbers of Australians are struggling to survive, they are just going to be thinking about their next meal, their next rent. They're not going to be, have much brain space to, to think about other issues of social reform
1: Anti-Poverty Network's Rita McDonald spoke at both the National Conference along with the National Day of Action Housing Rally. She says the housing situation is now a humanitarian crisis and believes it is vital to voice concerns.
2: When we speak up, that gives encouragement to others to speak up as well and to tell their stories. We need those stories told because that's real-life experience we're experiencing the poverty and the
1: homelessness. And unless we speak up, it won't change. And what are your biggest concerns around that current housing crisis at the moment, in particularly in South Australia where we are? My biggest concern is that
2: it's not going to get any better unless the government takes some very drastic measures. I think it's just going to get worse and worse. The Peter Malinaskis government, the solution that they have is laughable. They need to, we need drastic measures. They need to address the vacant homes that we have here and get people housed now. It can be done.
1: How much worse have you personally observed the situation, particularly in Adelaide's northern suburbs?
2: It's absolutely drastic in in the north. I've said often that homelessness used to be a city problem, but now we've got homelessness on our doorsteps, literally. I've even had a homeless man sleeping on my port. The homeless people are everywhere in the north. We've even got tent city outside of a council office now. And unfortunately, council, they're not just seeing it, or they are seeing it, but they're ignoring it.
1: And how does that make you feel, you know, seeing that and seeing it worsen over, I, mean, I imagine it's worsened quite a lot over 2023? Yes, it makes me feel the government is not listening. Well, they
2: might be listening, but they're not hearing us. The situation is going to get worse and worse. And it's depressing, very, very, very depressing and very soul destroying too, that the government are not listening to us and that Albanese at the beginning he said no one left behind Mm -hmm. and unfortunately they have left us behind they have no concern about what we're living through and that's why we need to speak up it's not even a political crisis or a housing crisis this is a humanitarian crisis in a country like Australia
1: at the conference you mentioned a number of vacant units. what do you have to say about this particular aspect as well we've got houses
2: and units they've been years uh, years of neglect they haven't been maintained but we've got uh, so many vacant homes and we've I've approached the the uh, housing minister I've even sent her photos and everything if they address the empty houses that we have around the especially in the north we could house people right now because so
1: many of them are just dirty. They, they can have people housing right now. Anti-Poverty Network's Rita McDonald speaking with The Wire. A country pub in the northern New South Wales is facing tight noise restrictions after a handful of noise complaints from neighbours. The Eltham Hotel, 30 kilometres west of Byron Bay, is well known for its thriving live music scene. The state government has announced steps to revive the hospitality and entertainment industries, including some rules around noise complaints. But is it too late? The Wire's contributors from Bay FM, Nick Richardson and Pat Campbell, asked co-owner of the Eltham Hotel, Matt Rabbage, what the main issue is.
7: We just recently had a couple of new liquor licence restrictions imposed upon our pub. You know, they're sort of all relating to sound and and output of noise from live music. You know, it's meaning realistically moving forward that we would be limited to doing no more than the odd acoustic show, even Tuesday night trivia is kind of at risk, so yeah, we're we're pushing back and appealing that process, and we're in the in the midst of that at the moment with liquor licensing. We've got some huge support locally and uh, from great musicians that have played there and residents and local government as well. So things are feeling positive, but we've still got to sort of get it out there and seek support where possible.
6: So this determination is based. Really on the the single complainant who's copped a couple of other people in, as I understand. That's not like a wave of, you know, the Eltham residents rising up against you. It's not that at all, is it?
7: No, definitely not. In this case, there's a a couple of complainants. All due respect to them as well. They do wish to have some silence in their area, but I guess we're just holders of a pub that has been there 122 years. We've been in uh, there for four years in trade. I'm really proud of what we do. Remove the pokies was the first thing we did when we took over the Eltham and um, our focus was probably more food and drink and obviously great music and we, my, my business partner Luke and I both had a background in music so, you know, involving that where we could was pretty important. Not only for us but, you know, for our community and... I certainly know from the times that I've been there that
5: you've been very respectful of what I would call the old hands. There's a lot who sit down in the back, some of the old macadamia farmers, and they all seem pretty happy with the pub. It hasn't sort of frightened them off. And uh, and you've been at pains, I think, to include the local community and consult with them as well
7: yeah of course i think that's you know the nature of running a pub you sort of need to be that middle man or woman but um at the end of the day it's a a pub is a public place or public Mm. house it's a space for all so you know young and old and rich and poor you know everyone in between and that boiling pot of cultures and people is pretty important yeah we've done really well at managing our our locals you know the old you know sitting at the end of the bar locals right through to families that have have been you know have grown up and now have kids of their own that are still coming back to the pub so Mm. that's important to manage that
6: yeah i want to come back to this determination being made by the is it the liquor and gaming office
7: of liquor and gaming
6: Yes. so that's a specific division of the new south wales government and obviously they're responsible for pubs in a way they have a sort of conflict of interest in my mind because they would quite like the revenue from the poker machines that you've so deliberately taken out of course you have to then compensate for that revenue shortfall somehow Music is one of the ways you do it, I guess.
7: Yeah, I think it's, um, it's an important note. That's for sure. And, uh, we're very lucky to the Minsk government at the moment, part of, you know, people are seeing at the moment but the, uh, their reforms or their reinvigorations of nighttime economy that is happening right now and some legislation just passed last week. It's poignant t- timing really to, to note that our focus should be on live music and community events and less on gaming revenue. So that sort of sits in our favor. But at the end of the day, the cold hard facts are that we made noise in a rural area. It's really difficult with background noise comparables as well. It's near silence out there, and we get that in a small space. But we've also made tremendous measures to appease our neighbours and to find those middle grounds. Both of you have been out to see shows where, you know, we have a hard curfew of 9.30pm, and it doesn't matter who the band is or how big they are, they'll be done by 9.30, and that makes it pretty special. And obviously, that's to respect our neighbours. I've got to say, that's one of the things I like about it, Matt. I can be Home in bed
5: by ten fifteen. Yeah, on a school night, you <laughs> say. Nick, Nick, Nick and I went to see scientists at the Northern a c- couple of weeks back, and uh, we're having pre gig drinks at six o'clock. Went to check what time he came on stage. Eleven o'clock. Mm-hmm. Oh bloody hell! It's too, too much. Um, gotta be ready yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. nine thirty. Yeah, that's pretty good. You've also been pretty selective, I think, in yeah. some of the bands. That you choose. I remember, I forget who it was. It wasn't Soundgarden, but you, you got an offer of some big. M-
7: mud Honey. Mud Honey. That's yeah. right. And you had to say no. It, we uh, did. There's been a few of them. Yeah. Thai Cigar was another. And, um, most recently there's a, another great band that we were really keen to try and have. It was in our top list of bands that we would love to mm-hmm. book at the pub that, um, we'll have to say no. And we've, we've had to be considered. And, you know, that style has been more around old country and folk and blues and, a little bit of world music, but again, it's just got to be the conversation around what style of music and how does it sound and how does that affect the neighbours as well. And it does my head in on the weekly basis having chats <laughs> with bookers and explaining to them that we don't have any offence yeah, against yeah, the yeah. band, we love their band, but we don't think it's right for the pub.
1: Co-owner of the Eltham Hotel, Matt Rabbidge, speaking with The Wire contributors from Bay FM, Nick Richardson and Pat the Campbell. The summer has just arrived, with a forecast of scorching weather just weeks away, and renting and climate advocates are concerned about the season. With Australia experiencing its first El Nino summer since 2019, research suggests the coming months will be the hottest the country has seen in over 100,000 years. With the nation plunging further into a housing crisis and social housing waitlists growing, low Income communities and renters will be the hardest hit by summer heat. Member of Climate Justice Network, Lena Sudano, says the impacts of climate for low-income renters will be severe this summer.
3: Well, I think the science is telling us and the health sector is telling us that heat waves are the single biggest cause of death arising from our climate crisis. Renters and low-income renters in social and community housing in particular are telling us that their houses are not equipped to be refuges
1: from heat waves do you think that the problem of climate change and perhaps living conditions is overlooked
3: i think that the majority of people can flick a switch and be cool or be warm it doesn't occur to those people that there are people living without adequate heating and cooling in rental accommodation nationally i think the figure is 30 percent in south australia it's closer to 40 percent of people are living in rentals that have no minimum standards for things like insulation, for air conditioning, either cooling or heating. We know that landlords in many areas where people living on extremely low incomes are living don't spend money on maintenance and upgrading homes to take account of the change to climate.
1: And in terms of health or even people experiencing exacerbated heat because of their living conditions what support services perhaps are there for people in these situations or more so what support services do you believe need to be more available I went looking to
3: see what there was. There's some great information from the Red Cross, but many of the steps they recommend many people on low incomes wouldn't be able to take. The South Australian Health Department hasn't updated its healthy in the heat guidance for four years. The State Emergency Service has some tips and tricks, but none of these deal with the systemic failures to actually think about where these people are living, how they are living and how to ensure we make it safe for them through these increasingly impossible
1: summers. How concerning or how concerned are you about the very immediate next few weeks with so many people experiencing rental crisis or living in social housing? How, how much of a concern is that, an immediate concern for you?
3: Well, I think for the people living with that question in uppermost in their minds, it's terrifying You know, we've recently seen some very tragic things happen to individuals as a result of car accidents, as a result of domestic violence. But there is a whole mass of people in South Australia who are sitting ducks for these heat waves. And where is the advice from local council to people? Where are the neighbourhoods? checking in on people, offering people refuge in their cooled homes. We need these emergency plans. This is an emergency situation. Where are the emergency plans, the contingency plans, rather than waiting until the forecast disaster happens?
1: Better Renting Deputy Director Bernadette Barrett says there is concern for low-income renters this summer
8: we're quite worried about renters' health and safety this summer considering it is uh, an El Nino summer and predicted to be incredibly hot. What we've seen over the last few years or we've been working with renters particularly in summer is that when we're all experiencing heat renters tend to feel it worse. Generally rental homes perform worse in hot and extreme cold temperatures just because they have lower energy efficiency. Renters aren't able to make the changes to the home that will make them more energy efficient and you know have a better thermal comfort. This summer we're quite worried about what that's going to mean for renters health and well-being.
1: Miss Barrett says tightening rental markets mean renters are forced to accept low standard living for high rent. The availability is so low, they're having to accept these really low quality substandard homes. But also,
8: you know, renters aren't able to make big changes to their homes. They can't do things like install an energy efficient air conditioner. They're not able to install insulation in the home, those sorts of things.
1: What would you ask for or what would your organisation call for in terms of rentals in our climate?
8: So when it comes to minimum energy efficiency standards, minimum rental standards, We believe that it is the government's responsibility to ensure that housing, which is an essential service, is provided in a way that suits people's needs. And part of that is by creating regulations that ensure that houses meet a certain standard, like we would expect of other essential services. We're calling on all state and territory governments, South Australian government in particular, to implement minimum energy efficiency standards. So you know, if we look at other jurisdictions for inspiration, we could look at the um, ACT who have recently brought in a minimum standard for ceiling insulation and ceiling insulation is a really important feature of a home because it helps regulate temperature year round so when it's cold when it's hot that ceiling insulation is helping the overall thermal efficiency of the home. Currently like in South Australia homes are meant to be weatherproof we would like it to be clear what that means does that mean that a landlord needs to draft seal the home if so that should be stated and then it should be enforced
1: Miss Barrett says there are a range of community guides and resources to better manage the impacts of summer. Better Renting recently launched the Coping Cookbook, an online resource. If you go to our
8: website, that is betterrenting.org.au forward slash coping underscore cookbook you can find our first few recipes that we've listed there's four there so far what we're currently doing is we're in a stage of crowdsourcing recipes and we call them recipes because it's kind of these like fiddly things you put together as a renter things that you've learned over time that just help in small ways or bigger ways to make your home more comfortable it came about because we've been doing a project for a few years called renter researchers we always hear from renters these incredibly smart diy measures that they take to make these improvements to their homes, especially if they're not uh, getting upgrades and maintenance done by landlords and real estate. And we thought, you know, this is like such an incredibly deep well of knowledge.
1: Better Renting Deputy Director Bernadette Barrett speaking with The Wire. And unfortunately, that's the end of the show today. Thanks so much for listening. The Wire is a co-production between 2SER in Gadigal, Sydney, 3 Z in Narm Melbourne, 4 Z and Radio 4EB in Mianjin, Brisbane, and Radio Adelaide with the great support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and the Community Radio Network. Remember, you can check out our stories at thewire.org.au and follow us on Facebook and X. I'm Emma Watsky, coming to you from Radio Adelaide. Adelaide in Tandanya, Adelaide. Thanks so much for your company and we'll see you next time on The Wire.